It's 12 Enough, Season 12, Episode 5, with your host, Jonathan Malone, and guest host, Doug Avales Bernal. 12 Enough is a podcast about Christian faith and culture in the modern age. Your host, Jonathan Malone, is the pastor of the First Baptist Church of East Greenwich, Rhode Island. Your guest host, Doug Avalis Bernal, is the executive minister of the Evergreen Association of the American Baptist Churches, USA. This podcast is brought to you by the Miles Davis Bitches Brew and the Anton Dvorak Symphony No. 9 Mashup. And we're back. The only one sponsor because we involve two composers or musicians. Let's go with, I, I, and you know, I think Miles Davis has a, it, I, and I'm not going to get into that. Uh, but, you know, you're welcome to all of those who are wondering what it would sound like when you mash up the first track of Bitches, of Bitches Brew with the last movement of Dvorak's Ninth Symphony. That's what it sounds like. And now you can rest easy because I know that's been on your mind. I recently had a great conversation with Doug Avalis Bernal, and we originally, well, we planned to get together to talk about the idea of sanctuary, um, especially in this time of COVID-19, of having to rethink what it, what space means, what it means to worship, what it means to be safe, that kind of thing. Um, but then, before we are able to record, um, all that, that has been happening with um, the murder of George Floyd and racism in America... Um, you know, came to the fore. And so we brought that in as well. So this is a timely episode, and I'm doing everything I can to try to get it out as quickly as possible. But still, with the quality you expect, I'm not going to make the quality less. Um, Doug is a good thinker. He really brings uh, some great stuff in, and uh, it's always a joy to talk to him. So I hope you enjoy this conversation I had with Doug Avalis Bernal. I'm here with Doug Aviles Bernal. Doug is the executive minister of the Evergreen Association of the American Baptist Churches of the USA. <laughs> they win the award for the most of these uh, in any group name. Um, shorthand it means Doug's in the higher up amongst the American Baptists over on the, the northwest corner of the United States, more or less, right? Yeah, yeah, Seattle. Yeah, Seattle. But you, I know you have churches in Alaska. Alaska, California, Idaho, Idaho, and Colorado. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, and this is your at least third time, I think, being on the. Yeah, I think so. It's, yeah. I'm a, You're well on your way to getting that that twelve enough T-shirt. That's right. Yeah. That's the only reason I do it. <laughs> that's for the T-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. I really yeah. should get those made. <laughs> all the reading, all the research. Right. <laughs> hours and hours. <laughs> This will give me a shirt. This will get... I mean, why do we do a PhD? For those stupid bars that we get to put on a robe. That's it. Mm -hmm. And then I found out, you could just go to a fabric store and buy velvet and sew it on yourself. Oh, but the beautiful PhD at the end. (laughs) 
Apparently, you can put any letters after your name. I'm going to start putting just a string of letters after my name just to and have people like, oh, wow, very impressive. Try to figure out. Yeah. That's like a lot of schooling. CGSF, XF, TTNY. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you do a panel. Oh, yeah. Academic symposium. That would be the second to last time I'd ever be invited to a panel. <laughs> so it's it's good to have you back on, on the show, Doug. I, I don't remember one of the times we talked, but one was when we talked about Don Giovanni, which, mm. I mean, was yeah. one of our best episodes because it's one of Mozart's best works that he ever put oh, together. Yeah. And, and this is from a tuba player. Yeah. There's no yeah. tuba part in Don Giovanni. So that's really impressive. Nothing. Yeah, but but the two most prominent voices were baritones. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so folks, go that. back and, and look for the episode that we did, Don Giovanni, um, Spirituality. It was it was really a, a pretty good episode. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's as far as I'll go with that. It was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I was about I to say it. really good, but no, it was, it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So the time. yeah, yeah. I mean, it was we were just riding the Mozart wave. You know, everyone was talking about Mozart. It had been it a good exciting. fifteen years since Amadeus was released. People, had, you know, and <laughs> it was a good anniversary sort of thing. Yeah, something like that. Rock Me Amadeus had had been released by then. Was I think that was Felco, right? That did that. They did, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a thing. It was a thing, and we waited. Sort of worked. Yeah, it was good. We waited until the wave was almost done, and then we jumped on, and that's why we did Don Giovanni. It was a cheap that's, shot. That's, that's how the church does. Yes, it is how the church does. Nice Jump in right at the end. Yeah. And then we're like, like oh. it's new. <laughs> so next episode will be on praise music. Yeah. <laughs> or, Jars of Clay. Yeah, praise music, Cohen. Yeah, the 1980s haven't died. <laughs> All right, but today we're going to talk about the idea of sanctuary. And and there's so many different directions we can go with this. Uh, and and uh, very much on our minds are, I know, at least two things. One is uh, we're in the midst still of the COVID-19 pandemic. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, our church, where I'm, the church I serve, we're looking to allow people back in worship physically uh, later this month in June. And I know there's mm. lots of hand-wringing and consternation about that. But, and I know many, many churches are just saying, we'll see a Labor Day or after. So mm-hmm. we're still in the midst of that. And we're also just uh, still, I think, reeling from the death of George Floyd and the repercussions of that. And I think the idea of sanctuary will come into play. Um, with with that in our in the back mm-hmm. of our mind, so I want the listeners to have the historical context of what you know what's going on when we record this episode. Yeah, it's we're in the thick of it now. Yeah, you know, I signed up to be a pastor because I thought it was easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure everyone told you that. I right. I figured you show well, up three hours a week. You, you download a sermon that Will Willimon preached the week before. You read yes. that. You, you visit a couple of people, and you call it a week. That's and, right. And now yeah. I've got to like be thinking about things and 
reimagining stuff. And I don't know, Doug. It's tough. <laughs> yeah, somebody once told me, you know, I worked all week for my sermons, and this was Sunday. I just read an article from the New York Times Sunday magazine, and people loved it. Why do you think that is? Because <laughs> <laughs> well, they have I fine have writing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But 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 it is it's it's yeah it's crazy. How do you answer it? <laughs> well, so the idea of sanctuary. You know, I brought it up, but as soon as we kind of started going with it, you got really excited about this idea. Because um, sanctuary is both a place and a concept, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in most churches, they refer to their worship space as the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Not not all, but by and large. And, and yeah, so what were some of the thoughts that, that you had initially with that? Well, so that's the thing that that we are we are bringing it's 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 a concept and a space and we're melding them together inappropriately. Inappropriately. Well, you come out swinging, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> inappropriate. Well, no, no, stick to your guns. I love it. <laughs> well, I wanted to explain. It's like you know how some you know we do the same thing with love. We 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 call it we call lust love. Hmm. You know, and in the same way, I think we were saying a space is the same type of sanctuary that the concept will be. Nice. You know, but there's there's connection. Right, right. And sometimes, you know, relation, but but it's not as tight or. Yeah. Right. So what I do you? Th- so I, I. I wasn't able to find out when it started. This idea of sanctuary being a safe space, and we have this idea in our minds that. Like if you're being chased by the king's guards and you run inside a church, you can declare sanctuary and and they won't mm. go in and, and and you know get you and you know capture you. And, um, you know, and one of the yeah. there's always like this horrific idea of you know someone being murdered in a church. Like it's bad enough you get murdered, but in a mm. church of all places. So yeah. so there is that marrying of space and idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The so, so I was doing some research on this. Oh, good for you. And, and so, yeah, that, I mean, you know, people everywhere, people keep harking back to this, this mosaic law in the Old Testament about cities of sanctuary hmm. for those who are guilty of involuntary homicide. You know, these, these are places where, where but that, that really was sort of a, a tribal right. sort of retributional thing. It was meant to stop this endless cycles of, 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 you know, you kill my family, so now I have to kill one of yours, right. which begins the other one. Now I have to kill, you know, so it was really meant to stop this, this blood cycle. Yeah. Well, cause I know the, the authors of the old Testament read Rene Girard's works and knew all about mimetic desire and okay. sacrifice theory. Yeah. Told me theory. It was their take, their take on scapegoating. <laughs> that was a joke for all you Rene Girard folks out there. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, it, that, but that seems to keep going, right? This whole idea yeah. that, that that sanctuary has been, as a space, has been offered for those who have committed something that is wrong, but mm. it's unmeditated. Like, uh, right. you know, uh, so even the Greeks did that and into the Middle Ages where it really took hold, you know. Uh, so it's like it's a cooling off space for those because people, you know, yeah. who have been wrong, they're going to be riled. They're going to be angry. And it's like, all right, you all, everyone needs a timeout. 
And it's exactly what it was. That that's how sanctuary functioned. You know, it was, it was you were in sanctuary indefinitely. Right. Your your case and crimes were not done away with. It was literally just just a calling off period. It was it was like earthly earthly purgatory. Nice. <laughs> you, you just sat there waiting for people to you know calm down and then bring judgment in a more reasonable way. At you, least that was right. You just described being a pastor. Earthly purgatory. You just sit there waiting for people to come down and bring some kind of judgment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Every Sunday, there's Every, that one person. That's usually Monday. I go to my office like, well, let's see what the sermon did this time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. And usually nothing. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a pastor, but I have for 30 years done. Oh, well, yeah. It's always yeah, uh, people that are listening. You know, just like doctors love it when you tell them how to do their job. Pastors also love it when you tell them how you could have done how they could have done their sermon better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because how hard is it to speak for twenty minutes, really? Right. We're gonna do it for much longer right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> back to sanctuary. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's been. I think it seems to me like what I found curious about this is that the United States as a country has never had any official provisions for sanctuary for space to be a sanctuary. Interesting. Ever. We've never, it doesn't seem like there's ever been one. Mm-hmm. Been one. And it wasn't really used until, you know, the, the, the sanctuary movement in the 80s. We, so, so I think, I think in the United States, sanctuary has its power in the concept, not in the space. But right. we're trying to, I think the sanctuary movement wants to, wants to have the concept permeate the space. Right. Do you think part of that might be um, in, in, in part because the United States, you know, in, in, in its, in, in, with the first English settlers that came over, was a sanctuary from religious persecution? Ah. Huh. It, it could be. Huh. Which would make Rhode Island the ultimate sanctuary? <laughs> that's where I was going with that. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's a great question. I always struggle with that because in, on the one hand, it does seem like it is. But mm-hmm. also at the same time, it seemed like it wasn't so much a sanctuary for them as finding a space where they could where they could build the right world. Right. Yeah, I think it's a both end. I think I think that's partly yeah, that's- where Roger Williams brushed up against cotton uh, mm. uh, because, you know, they went looking for sanctuary for themselves but if others came, like, oh, no, no, you're not safe here because you're not one of us. This is our sanctuary. Yeah. And so Roger Williams said, all right, I'm going to make a different kind of sanctuary for everyone. And even that still was flawed. I mean, let's, let's you know. It, it was. was. You know, but that idea of it, it wasn't this church will be the symbol. It's, it's more this community of people. The town will be the symbol of religious freedom. Now, there was only one church in the town, but. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's see, that's what I like because one one of the things I, I I find very interesting about Mathers is that he had this expansive discourse on the freedom the gospel brings, but yeah. it was always restrained by his understanding of the gospel. Well, he was so right. It's broad, <laughs> as long as I agree with it. Right. I know. I love and, it. Well, yeah. I mean, you just have to, as soon as you understand that he was right, yeah. then it's fine. <laughs> it's 
Now you have found the true faith. Yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah. Well, but... And, yeah. and I think that that relates to part of the challenge of sanctuary and even, like, the challenge of sanctuary that we face today, that we say, you know, churches should be a safe space, right? You know, mm-hmm. if, if you go into the building itself, even, it should be a safe space. But we've had a couple of times when a Jewish um, community... You know, needed a place to worship for one reason or another. You know, building was under construction or something. And we wanted to offer our sanctuary, but it wasn't a safe space. Because as low church as we are, there's still a big honking cross right in the front of the the room. It's right there. There's no Jesus on it. I mean, we're Protestant. So it's it's not that in your face, but it's still right there. (laughs) So it's a safe space for those who are inside the ideas of what that safety is supposed to be. Uh, and that's where that see this, this, this is where I like, cause now this is where in now this is completely, you know, couch historical wrongfulness on my part. No, let's go ahead. Do it. Go. My sense is that in, in Europe during the medieval times, you, you the, the individual disappeared into the communal. But the communal was completely Christian at the exclusion of everything else, right? I think by and large, you, I think we can brush that broad. It's, I mean, it's a yeah. huge. Yeah. Right. There were exceptions. Quick. Right. So I think what the United States has done since the arrival of the pilgrims has been, has been now that has become individual. You know, so so the individuals at the core of everything mm. and individuals beliefs are what matters at the exclusion of other things. And it just so happened that the individuals with power have a tendency to lean, you know, Christian. Right. But it's more really Western superiority with Christian language in it. Yeah. Yeah. So so then so then when we I think that when we say sanctuary in the United States, we really mean a space Christian has Christians have agreed is a Christian space of worship. Right. Well, and that individually, individuality, I think we're seeing excavated or, or, or magnified that much more when it comes to, you know, we're saying when we get back together to worship, everyone's going to need to wear a mask. And there's going mm-hmm. and there, I know at least there are some in my community that are saying, well, I can't go to worship then because I don't want to wear a mask. I, I won't feel like it's a safe space for me if I can't wear a, if I have to wear a mask. And others are saying, but if you don't wear a mask, it's not a safe space for us. Um, so yeah, so there yeah. needs to be a, a dominant culture in yeah. creating that safe space. Yeah, and somehow we've lost we've lost the the desire to work for community, right? So yeah. so to do things for the sake of others. Um, it's just non-existent in a lot of spaces that have power. So I want to come back. To, I want to just sidetrack a little bit because you brought up the sanctuary movement in the in the eighties. Oh yeah. Um, just for our listeners, can you give a little bit, uh, just like the thumbnail description of that? In in the nineteen eighties, there was there was a there was a war in El Salvador that we were funding as a country, United States as a country. And people were, were leaving, and they were given sanctuary in the United States. But then, in the mid-80s, early 80s, the government decided to start deporting Salvadorians back to the war zone. Hmm. 
for for political reasons and a couple other reasons. So we got to summarize. There's a, there's a lot more detail, and people who know the sanctuary moving are going to have problems with just about every sentence I say. They'll they'll but, be okay. Deal with it, folks. But to summarize it, people, they the United States government started deporting Salvadorians. A church in in the Southwest decided to become a. They decided to call themselves a sanctuary church, and they were going to have. Salvadorians move into the space to keep them from being deported. That caught on. Right. And it became a movement. So the idea was that a church will become a sanctuary church, in essence, was really as a protest against the war of in El Salvador and the violence, and also to protect people who knew they were mm. going, they were sent back to a totalitarian government that was going to kill them. Right. So it was, it was a war protest. Uh, and at the same time, uh, a co-opting of sacred spaces in the United States, mm. purpose of of a specific goal. Boy, co-opting. So you kind of <laughs> you you telegraphed my question because I was just coming into my own when that was happening. Um, in seminary, I was a student pastor at a church in in Cambridge that was a sanctuary church during that time. Mm. Um, mm. And um, so I was after that. And then it was when I was serving as a pastor that the sanctuary churches reemerged when um, the current administration started really pushing um, deporting people. And one of the one of the the conversations of that was to what end are you being a sanctuary church? Is it really to help the people you say you're protecting or is it to make a statement? Mm -hmm. Um, I I didn't know if that's where you were headed with the co-opting. Statement. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I think it's. <laughs> Doug, we, you just want to you just want to tick off everyone, huh? I know. <laughs> my my problem is that I profoundly believe in the concepts concept and wholeheartedly support sanctuary sanctuary churches completely, right? Because I think it's 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 doing a good thing. Yeah. But but we have to face the purpose, right? So for example, if you're going to be a sanctuary church, you have to make it public, right? It has to be a big deal, right? Because that's the intent. The intent is to highlight the injustice, you know. The, so to use right to use our respect of sacred spaces, and therefore create the tension, you know, sort of like the the MLK constructive tension thing. Right, but that's when sanctuary becomes prophetic. <clears throat> right. Yeah, and that's <clears throat> that's what I like to see. So the sanctuary movement. It, so I know we highlight the the sanctuary aspect. Mm-hmm. I like what you said because we should also equally highlight the prophetic movement because the prophetic side of it because that's that's where I love sanctuary movement that it, it makes the church be a prophetic voice in this world. Is that fair to the people they're taking into their building? <clears throat> ha. <laughs> you got to unpack that, ha. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because so the people who are being going into those spaces, right, they, they yeah. have real life emotional needs, like right. like family who are going to be left here by themselves. Right. right. So there, there's, there's a personal profound need there. And, and the people who are taking them in generally don't think on the prophetic side. They just think on the personal side, right? We want to help this one person. Hmm. By protect by sharing our privilege with them, fair in okay. a tangible way. Yeah. So I think I think it's two things. 
the first is 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 the local and the and the and the communal. So in the local, is that it's, it's very personal. It's it's a response to Christ's call to serve the least of these. You know, right, right, wholeheartedly. Yeah, here's someone that needs a place to stay. We're going to give them a place to stay. Yeah, and beyond that, we're going to risk and share our privilege with them. Right. So we're going to put ourselves in the line for this. At the same time, the sanctuary as a movement has a different emphasis. It, it, right. just, it wants to be a prophetic voice with regards to our immigration system and policies. Both are needed. Yeah. It seems like and, there's a balance that needs to be found with that. Yeah. So, yeah, because it, you don't want to make <clears throat> someone, uh, well, it, you know, if I was doing it with my church, I would have to be really aware of I am someone with power and privilege. I'm helping someone. I'm, you know, trying to use my power and privilege to help someone else. That's great. But then when I say, and now I'm going to use what I'm, my helping someone else to make a point that feels opportunistic. Yeah. You know, and, and it's tough. It, yeah. And, and well, first, I hope everyone struggles with that. If you don't struggle with it, then you're a psychopath. Yeah. I think that's fair, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm no psychologist, but it seems like an appropriate response. Um, Quick diagnosis, it works. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, I, you know, and I wonder if, you know, there's another level to this with the sanctuary movement, because what it is is saying, like, the United States should be a sanctuary, because that is a part of the seeds of where we started. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, yeah so, so there is this sense of, so the prophetic weaves, you know, folds back into the idea of sanctuary being important. Yeah, and it does. And, and we, we always had this, we have always had this tension since we invaded the, this continent, right? Yeah. Uh, we yeah. always had this, this tension of it being a sanctuary for me and us. And everybody else, regardless of the abundance here, is really not welcome. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I mean, what Roger Williams did was radical, even though it was still flawed. I mean, he was, I think, for his time, he was really ahead of the curve. Oh, yeah. I, Unimaginably I mean, so. Yeah, he even, I mean, he hated the Quakers. Hated wow. them. And I get it. Who doesn't, right? <laughs> <laughs> They're so easy to hate. <laughs> Doug, I never hated Quakers until I lived in the Philadelphia area. And oh, I don't, I, let me, I, I don't hate Quakers, but I've never been annoyed by Quakers until I lived in the Philadelphia area. <laughs> and, and then they were, there's, there's, yeah, their self-righteousness was just everywhere. It was like, ah, uh, you couldn't avoid it. Um, you know, but I know that there was a, a, a people should read like Gusted's book on, on, uh, on Roger Williams. It's a oh, yeah. great biography. I love the story of him rowing over to Newport Island to debate with the Quakers because he was so sure that they were wrong and wanted to prove to them he was right. But he still made space for them. It did. That's, a, that's a remarkable part of him, I think, because in an age where separation was a norm yeah. and you were either right or should be killed, he went in a completely different space. Right. You know? He said, "Yeah, I hate you, but you need a voice." Me, so, yeah. I so, mean, look, I I love appropriation right, in this case, right? Because he was a Baptist for like fifteen minutes. We'll take him, but, but we're, it's he's ours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he did he did 
put a wedge in this dichotomy that we ha- that we continue to have. You know, it's, it's right. I and those like me are welcomed and everyone else at best could be tolerated as long as they don't get in my way. And, and, and that rubs and sanctuary then kind of comes in, mm. in a Roger Williams way. Right. Saying, well, what if what if there's another way? Yeah. So so you made this point earlier about how we have this tension today with sanctuary now is more about the individual and not the community. And, and so it's, you know, the individual says, I need to feel safe. I don't have a sense of being, you know, of a we need to feel safe. It's just I need uh, yeah, to feel safe, right? You know, how do you, how do you think, do you see ways in which that's impacting uh, church communities today? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because the, the individualization of sanctuary really is, is oh, ha, in my perception, has been overtaken by consumerism. Mm. So oftentimes we say sanctuary, but what we mean is my likes, my preferences. Right, yeah. So sometimes people say, I don't feel safe here, but what they really mean is, this doesn't have enough of my preferences for me to enjoy myself. Yeah. And right. that's where I think it needs to be broken down to say we need to we need to re-engage what sanctuary actually means in, in, a, in a scriptural sense as a concept mm. versus what we are using it for, which is a means to say I need to get everything I want or almost everything I want. Otherwise, I won't be here. Right. So, yeah, if I go to a worship service and all they play is polka, it's not a safe space for me. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we're abusing we're, we're abusing safe space so much that it's losing its power and its significance. Yeah. You know, and 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 which which is a very American thing to do. You know. Yeah. That's, it, it, that's why awesome is not awesome anymore. I know. Now we have to say radical. Yeah. yeah. And that's not even what it means anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but that's the thing, right? Like, is this thing where we co-op this this larger than ourselves things. Well, let's think about the sacramental idea of, of sanctuary. That might, ah. I, I don't know. I don't know where this is going. I'm not leading us in a direction, but I'm wondering if that might bring another dimension that'll help think through the individuality and in sanctuary. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, so if we think about that, right? It, let's say sac, it, uh, sacred sanctuary in scripture. Right. In the Old Testament, every time there was there was someone was what, how would you describe sanctuary in the Old Testament? There was this this you know sanctuary cities right that was to 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 stop these blood feuds. But everything else, there was no such thing, right? There was closeness to God, and that, that was always dangerous. Yeah, you know. So I'm not sure because we also seem to think that sanctuary is a place where we could be closer to God. Yeah, a and holy place. Pure, and it feels pretty, you know, but. Every time, I mean, in the Old Testament, getting close to God was a dangerous thing yeah. that you didn't really do often. And when you did it, you did it in fear and trembling. Right. Yeah, you know? if you touch that ark and you're not in the right place, you'll die. Yeah. We, we saw yeah. it happen. Yeah. High priest was tied around his waist in case God's, you know, in case he was destroyed by God for being too close. You know? Right. <laughs> In the Exodus, we discussed this earlier, you know, in the Exodus, the tent where Moses spoke with God was outside of, of the camp. Yeah, and then Moses' you know, like face was of, changed. They said his face was glowing, but I think it, 
So I, I, I think what happened was, you know, at the end of the Raiders of the Lost Ark, mm-hmm. how they opened the Ark and their faces melted? Splat, yeah. Yeah, I think what happened was Moses' face was slowly melting bit by bit every time he talked to God. So it wasn't all at once because he didn't open up and look. You know, he took the advice. Um, just slowly. Just slowly. So he had to wear that veil and, until his face kind of worked back into shape. And that's, it's, in the, it's a translation difference. It's a question of how you read the Hebrew. <laughs> Yeah, that's all it is, I'm sure. <laughs> Spielberg knew what he was doing. That's the point I'm trying to make. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But he, everywhere, right? Like there was, there was the, you know, there's one dude that fought with an angel. Right. And then he had a limp for life. Yeah. And that was the closest he got to divinity. Yeah. Yeah, so it's yeah. a dangerous, yeah. Being close to God can be dangerous, but we've made it into being close to God is sacred. Sacred is sanctuary. Sanctuary is safe. Right. Uh, comfortable yeah comfortable because we're not Thank even you. talking about what the holy spirit does that's a whole nother yeah yeah because i mean you know if we're talking about sanctuary as being close to god right and if, and as as christians then we're saying then therefore jesus will have to be there too yeah and then being close to jesus then that's a troublesome thing because you know if we think of the gospels then, then uh, nowhere in the synoptics did the disciples actually ever feel, oh, this is great. Look at us. This is fantastic. I mean, I've never been this safe in my life. Right. You know, they were never safe with Jesus. Yeah. You know, they almost died in the ocean. <laughs> yeah, right. They had them close to lepers. Yep. They right. feel, I think they were feeling pretty good after he fed the 5,000. But then Jesus took them right out to the ocean, to the water, and like, all right, let's get in the water. I'm like, but, but we're full. Exactly. They didn't even get to bask in the glory of the thankfulness of those people. They had yeah. to leave right away. Yeah. So none of them had it. It was they tough. To, yeah, that was tough to be a disciple. Yeah. So yeah, it was. I, <laughs> one of the one of the interesting things that many many religious communities are wrestling with right now is that sacredness and space are so intertwined. So that mm. sanctuary is a physical space, and the majority of, of us have been forced to worship out of our sacred space. Mm-hmm. And, and have, so then we have to rethink what is sanctuary. Yeah. Are, we yeah. In, are we in a place that is safe you know, when we are worshiping virtually from a distance? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, this is where it hits us differently, right? Like, yeah. So for Baptists, if we think of it, for congregations, but Baptists mainly, when they told us you can't worship in your spaces— if we really were Baptists, we would have said, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. All right. So, okay. <laughs> but that's not what we did. No. We put up, we had tantrums. We, yeah. we sulked. I did. Um, I know, but when we came to doing Lord's Supper, that wasn't so hard for us. We just said, you know, have stuff for yourself at home. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't. People were trading recipes, and they said, this is your chance to blah, blah, blah. Have wine. But, but, yeah, so for us, sanctuary, it's, it's a tricky thing, right? I think for us, Baptists, sanctuary is, is a... <laughs> talking about getting in trouble. Sanctuary <laughs> is on the concept side for Baptists. Yeah. And it becomes temporal with convenience. Mm. You know, so, so we, we have the freedom to ascribe sanctuary to a space and the selfishness to decide that. On our own. 
Although I would say we would say that, and I think that's been a part of the Baptist ethos for a while, but I think we have enough of a sacramental awareness to say yeah. something's and and I noticed this a, a couple of things I you know I do the services on Facebook but I do them from the church and people mm. when I started doing that people said it's nice to see you in church it helps me feel like I'm there uh, and then one Sunday I said you know it was like eight Sundays in or something I said you know we haven't been here in a while let's go on a tour of the church and remind ourselves so the, whoever had the camera mm. I had a small crew followed me along and someone said they started to cry you know, seeing those parts of the church. And, and it may be nostalgia. Um, it, it may be an overconnection with the physical space. But I'm willing to give that much to say there's an awareness that in that space, the holy has happened. You know, mm, sacred yeah. things have happened. And, 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 and that should not be discounted. So a sacramental mm. awareness is what I would, I, and, I'm, and I think I can comfortably use those words. I know they can be tricky, but I would use that, those words yeah. that there is a, an awareness that in that space, when we are there in worship, though. Mm. Um, so I, yeah. I, I think that yeah. difference is still, is still there, but, um, yeah. which complicates so, it. It does, it does, <clears throat> especially because I was just wrong. No, I don't think and you were. I think you're. I think you're right. There is something about. I think it. it we have it in a, in the opposite sense that our sacramental relatives do, right? Yeah. So for us, the sacramental, the sacredness grows right. as the space is used, whereas in our other family, the space has become sacred and you come into it. Yes, when it's already sacred, right? So it's the actions. It's yeah. It's the language that we use in the space. So it doesn't have to be a church building if we just met in a gymnasium, but did the the, the liturgy every week, and that would become a sacred space for us. It could, yeah. But but there is there is something about a space designed for worship. This is where yeah. this is why I think that the these like mega church. Look like a look like a concert hall thing is dying down. Mm. Yeah, you know because because there's something about a space designed to point to an otherness right. that that highlights that adds to the to the sacredness of, of the space. Yeah. So so yeah, but how does that become a sanctuary? Is 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 a large step that I think is a theological one. Well, so uh, what do you what do you think it is? Instead of me just jumping to conclusions. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I, I think I think it speaks to the per, to purpose, right? What yeah. is the purpose of our gathering here? And beyond that, and this is what I like about sanctuary. What is the temporal purpose of the conceptual gathering that we're doing? Mm. Oh, nice. And that's where I think the concept of sanctuary comes to me, you know. So for us, right. within my, my understanding, Baptist theological understanding, which is fairly sacramental, I would say that, that sanctuary becomes when we explore the purpose for which we have gathered, you know. And, and yeah. that's where trouble begins as well, because as soon as, as soon as we get into the depth of sanctuary, then we want to decide, well, who do we exclude? Right. You know, perhaps part of what's happening is our understanding of the word sanctuary is changing without us knowing that it's changing. Ah. That no longer is it a safe place. Or actually, let me think this. Let me let me go. So in part, it's no longer a safe place, but a sacred place. 
Ah, right. But at okay. the same time, we are trying to make a sacred place a safe place. And mm. what happens is we're watering down our faith. Mm. And so, yeah. then, so then we just get a consumerism faith that doesn't challenge, that doesn't push, and just feels good. And that's yeah. sanctuary. Yes, because what, what am I getting from this? This is why people church shop. Yeah. But you know, in, yeah, go ahead. They, they're saying, okay, this looks like a church. What, how much is it giving me? Right. But if we say it, um, this is a sacred place, then it's not safe. Right. It can be comforting. Yeah. Um, it, it can be healing, but it also can convict. It can challenge. It can push. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all of that. And if we say it's a a sanctuary, yeah, but it doesn't have to be safe. And what if, here's the thing, what if it's a sanctuary in the sense that we know that we are not living right and there is a lot of strife going on with our lives out there. So we need a place where we can cool off and get right with God so that we can then go (laughs) out and face the things that we've done, that we've done. You see what I did there? (laughs) <laughs> it's like neo-medieval sanctuary we just got to go back to the medieval times we just yeah. did so much right back then didn't we <laughs> <laughs> that's you know it, it uh we talked when we were preparing for this we talked about uh the existentialism relationship to i was to i was, was going to wonder i was wondering if you're going to bring Tillich in yes <laughs> nice well because i mean you know he, he, he breaks it down in three, three spaces, existentialism, he does. And I think that speaks to our understanding or maybe our changing understanding of sanctuary now. Right. right. So he says uh, existentialism, you could be, it could be seen as a point of view, as a protest, or as an expression. <clears throat> right? right. And, and how, you, how you view that uh, alters... How you live it out. We could say that the sanctuary movement is 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 existentialism as a process, right? Mm. This these people are. Right. These people are, and their and their essence is exterior and superior to immigration laws. <clears throat> and therefore we're gonna we're gonna make this temporal space the core of our protesting the wrongfulness of those laws, right? Okay. Does that, but that might be a stretch, but... No, I th- I'm i wondering why you're not bringing just all three into the sanctuary movement. No, I, I'm working on that. Oh, okay, good, yeah. good. Sorry, but, I didn't mean, I mean to I, that, spoil that's it. That's the operating principle yeah. in it. Right? Yeah, that's, that's like that's, the overt, obvious... Yes, yes, exactly. And then there's, there's more. It gets deeper than that in the sense that as an idea... Right. Right, as an idea, it, it, it points to the highest principles that we could aspire to. Yeah. You know, to say a Christian space must be respected because Christianity for us as a country is so respected. Yeah. That they that we wouldn't dare violate that space. Right? Yeah. And then as a point of view, it's is is very related to what I said in the first one. You know, the idea is that we want to point to something that is that is bigger than ourselves, that the essence of humanity is bigger than our current flawed immigration laws. Nice. So so the movement is trying to get the laws to match our understanding of humanity. Nice. 
Yeah. And that's, I think, that's how, that's how, that's how in reading Tillich, right. I thought Tillich's conversation with existentialism. Yeah. Yeah. I thought this, there's something here for, for sanctuary. Cause in essence, that's, it's rooted in that, right? How do I know I matter? Right. Right. Well, it, and and that's yeah yeah and you can take that to your weekly worship in a space or not in a space and to say worship should be a protest against you know whatever it is that's holding you down it should be an expression of where it is we could be doing and a point of view of how the world should be shaped uh, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. so yeah I think Tillich is you know um, I mean I like Tillich anyways I you know that's yeah I'm not it's hard for me to say a bad word about Tillich. <laughs> About his theology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, as a person, who knows? He had his flaws. But his theology, I really like it. Um, But that idea of of sanctuary, now we've broadened it to having it to either be a safe place or be a sacred place and now be something more than. Ah, yeah. Which is good. It's an ideal, right? Yeah. I I think the sanctuary movement sees the sanctuary movement sees the sanctuary as an expression of the ideal in the tangible to say this is what we ought to aspire for right because a lot of them a lot of them are not saying forgive these people what they're saying is can you treat them justly right and 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 of course the law is is not about justice it's about law right sometimes sometimes you get justice from it but really it depends on the laws that have been crafted yeah yeah, which is, yeah, not all laws are just, which is why civil disobedience is a part of our Christian heritage, kind That's of. That's right, yeah. And, and, and the courts, they're, the courts are courts of law. They're not courts of justice. Right. They seek to give justice, right? But, but oftentimes they're constrained by the laws. Yeah. So, so that's, that's the idea. So, so sanctuary as a movement right. is, I think, doing, trying to push us towards justice, within the narrow scope of our immigration system. So, yes, I, I, and I think that's, a, that's an important and good thing. And that speaks to the prophetic voice of the church being a sanctuary movement yeah. broadly. Um, so our response to the murder of George Floyd is protest, his expression, and his point of view. And mm-hmm. to say, you know, it, there should be a feeling of safety and sacredness you know, throughout. So I think as we start to wrap up, I'd like to bring in a very current event as we have been anyways, but one that I think will both will get us both a little bit riled. It'll be a little inflammatory, but I think merits reflection. You probably know where I'm going. So, you know, just a couple of days ago, our president, Donald Trump, um, walked over to St. John's church Mm -hmm. And stood in front of the church with a Bible. Now, I know there's so many different points of view that we can take and so many different critiques. But in light of the conversation that we were just having, the idea of sanctuary, what, do you, what are your thoughts about that? I think it's a perfect example of the temporal flawed system trying to co-opt yeah. a profound understanding of sanctuary. You know, because really, I mean, if we think about it, like if we think about it much deeper than he did. Yeah. Well, really, what he was trying to do is to say, I'm your sanctuary. If right. you want peace, tran- tranquility, 
I get to decide that. Right. You know, you know, never mind that he used violence. All that mattered for him was that that snapshot. Yeah. And, you know, and for me, it was a clear moment when the church that he was standing in front of was just a building. And, and mm-hmm. I, I know that, you know, yeah, the clergy of that church were not a part of that. They weren't, you know, there were so many things wrong. But at that moment, it was not a church. It did not, it, there was nothing sacred about that moment. And, and the Bible that he was holding was just a book. Um, and, yeah. and, and, and he and, held it. Like yeah, book. and he held it like a book. And that's the kindest interpretation I can take. Because if I do, I mean, because then if I do start to see it as a church and a Bible, it's incredibly offensive, because you're taking those tenets of sanctuary, and um, you know, disrespecting them. You know, yeah, it, for me, it's you're disrespecting what I've de- devoted my life to. Yeah, um, yeah. He literally destroyed the sanctuary so that he could. Um, stand there with this book he's never opened. Although, <laughs> you could say, using the Talikian approaches, he was trying <laughs> to do the existential. He had, an expre- he had a protest um, of sorts. He had an expression. He had a point of view. We are just ones who have, and this is where, you know, we've studied Christianity a little bit, right? You and I. We've spent some time doing some reading. We would say that the expression, the protest, the point of view are antithetical to Christianity. Yes. But there are others who feel the opposite, right? They're, they're, they're the, they, and these, these are, I don't think they are conservative Christians. I think they're nationalistic. Yeah. Uh, you know, who are saying that the president showed power at that moment. Yeah. The power that the country needs. I think you're right to say he's creating a new sanctuary and that sanctuary is him. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, which which is so appealing, right? Because we have this draw towards the strongest will survive. Yeah. For as much as our our fellow nationalistic Christian brothers and sisters say they don't believe in they don't believe in evolution, they really they really <laughs> believe in the strongest <laughs> survival of the fittest is really what they love. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's the biggest church. Is the most successful. Is the one that God blesses. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I'm sure some of them know they're very Darwinian in their in their outlook. <laughs> but, I've been I've been sending copies of the Origin of Species to to different churches, saying <laughs> you seem to be doing this already. <laughs> you may want to read it. <laughs> so far, no thank you notes, but you know, maybe. <laughs> Send them Descent of Man if you want to hold it. Uh, I would be glad, you know, I would hope they would read Antichrist also. Nietzsche. <laughs> read some Nietzsche. Yeah, folks, if you want to get real good with your faith, just read some Nietzsche and some Darwin. That'll help you. It makes you better it, believers. Yeah. But so <laughs> all of this brings me to, to, to one of the, the – to Rauschenbusch. Nice. You I know, set you uh, up. I set you up nicely there, didn't I? Yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. He has – I mean, in, in one of his books, he has – one of the chapters that, and, and the, I love the title, Dare We Be Christians? Mm. With a question, Dare We Be Christians? And, and I love, I love that. Uh, and, and here's just a quote from him. You know, yeah. uh, we need a modern supplement to Paul's praise of love written in the face of present day problems 
and a 20th century point of view. But with the same old Christian enthusiasm for love and the same old faith in the power of Jesus Christ to inspire love. Mm. And I think that's a good first step into a, a new understanding of what sanctuary means, right? Uh, 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 a, a praise of love in the face of present-day problems. Yeah. So I, sanctuary could be an expression of love. Sanctuary as a space could be yeah. an expression of love in the face of the current problems, including uh, medicine for our uh, selfishness. So sanctuary may not be comfortable. Yeah. I, th I think I, if, if, you know what? I think sanctuary is not comfortable. Mm. And it was never meant to be comfortable. Sanctuary is, is kind of, I think in this sense, the Old Testament had it right. Sanctuary is a place where you're so close to the divine that the impurities are exposed and, and they begin to melt away in a very painful way. Like Just like Spielberg had <laughs> in the Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's right. It's all coming together. Yes. So the closer you're in sanctuary, the more it burns. Or it could be more like E.T., where it's just that <laughs> healing touch. Yeah, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, don't take that. I want to do an episode where we just do Spielberg movies and the gospel. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> but So, I mean, if I were to summarize it, right, like what yeah. I would say, that uh, I would say sanctuary is the space where you know you're going to hurt. Mm. But you know it's for a good purpose. And yeah. healing is there as well. Yeah. And and for those who are going with grief and, and say, like, I just need a place to that, you know, the healing with grief is a part of that. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a, it can be a place where you can say, now I can really feel my grief. I can really express it fully. Mm -hmm. And that's painful. But mm -hmm. healing comes out of that. Um, so I, yeah. I want to make sure there's comfort, too. Yeah. Come to a place where you could sit and just let your pain out. Yeah. Just where it already, you know, sometimes crisis counselors say externalize it, right? Mm -hmm. This is a space where you could just pour it out. It's going to hurt, but yeah. it's also going to be this healing room, you know. So, and, so yeah. And it's encouraging that it doesn't have to be in a space. Ah, yeah. In, yeah. Uh, at least for, yeah, for, I think for pretty much all of us that when – no matter how you're doing your worship service, if it's YouTube, Facebook, Zoom, whatever, by all gathering together and sharing in the language and the activities, you are now all dwelling in that space together. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and whether or yeah, not it no, be, Go ahead. But yeah, I, I completely agree with that. It, but the space helps. Right? It does. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. So we, as long as you know that. Yeah. I've put up... Above our cross is a stained glass window, and um, since during this whole time, so they don't know this yet, but when they get back, I put in a picture of an angry Jesus face with the <laughs> eyes just going right towards the pews. It's one of those, no, no matter where you're sitting, the eyes will be right on oh, you. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, so they'll come to church, and they'll be angry Jesus just staring at them. This um, is a perfect picture of sanctuary. <laughs> But he's wearing a mask. I did put a mask on. <laughs> oh, perfect. Yeah. So yeah. now you don't know if the angry staring is surprise, anger. Right. All you see are just those glowering eyes. Glaring eyes. But yeah, so I, I don't know if that got 
I don't know if that goes anywhere. I got us. I think so because I think it also says you you know anyway you know in in, in the light of of uh, you know the George Floyd and and just you know the wonderful response of faith that we're seeing. Hmm. There is that question of what can we do as a people of faith, and we can say yeah. let's be deliberate in creating sanctuary when we worship, so that we can be convicted and changed, uh, so that we can go back into the world. A different yeah, people. and it might just be that the country now as a whole is being forced into a convicting sanctuary. Yeah, you know, and to say to say that finally something has triggered, and it, we, maybe we needed to be locked up for mm. this to be triggered, right? Maybe, but something yeah. Triggered. Yeah, whether that would show up in 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 continuous change will remain to be seen, right? Right. But you know, but something's changed. I mean. This year, we've had a, the 1918 pandemic mm-hmm. along with the 1960 civil rights movement all at the same time. What's next? What's the third one? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but the difference, I think, is, and I, this is for another time, but we don't have the focal points that we had before. There's no MLK right now to yeah. rally around. And I don't know what that's going to do to change in a sustainable way. Like, right. Like, we have forgotten about this by November, you know? Or that might be the thing to keep the movement really bubbling in a different kind of way instead of having a focal point on one person uh, yeah. and keeps it more dispersed in a, in a better way. I don't know. That's, I'm yeah. speculating. Yeah. Well, Doug, I, but, I, I, yeah, I, I feel I like, like we... The, sorry. Yeah, I, I feel like we've probably um, had our listeners head spinning at certain points. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it was a fantastic conversation. Now, where do you, when you are able to worship um, with a community, what, what, what community do you worship with? Because I know you're worshiping uh, many yes. places. And Yes. So our, when I worship as a family, my nuclear family, mm-hmm. it's a Queen Anne Baptist Church. Oh, where? Uh, um, Mindy's Yeah, Yeah, Mindy Welton Mitchell's there. Reverend Mindy Welton Mitchell's a pastor, yeah. Queen Anne Baptist Church in, in Queen Anne, uh, Seattle. Okay. And what time is their worship? It is at 11. P.M. or A.M.? A.M. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You West Coast people are crazy. <laughs> I wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> oh, it's 1030. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, you go there a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you're you're executive minister. You've got a lot of churches to think about. You're preaching other places. I mean, it happens, right? It happens. Things change. So, yeah. So uh, folks, I would say, I would say, look at the website. Yeah, go to the website. <laughs> so, folks, if you're in the Seattle area, go to yes. Queen Anne Baptist Church in Queen Anne, Seattle. Go at ten thirty. If the worship starts at eleven, you'd get there early, and maybe they have adult Sunday school or kids or something, yeah. or or you just hang out. Say hi to Mindy. She's great. Um, and maybe you'll see Doug. Maybe you won't. Maybe. Yeah. I try to do once a month, maybe. Hey, that's, that's, that's something. Well, Doug, thank you very much for being on the show. This was fantastic. Thanks. Thank you.
Well, there it is. The, um, well, there it is. The conversation I had with Doug Avalis Bernal about sanctuary and all those fun things. Um, fun? I don't know. Fun, if that's the right word. Uh, but I really, I mean, Doug is so much fun to, he is fun to talk to. He's, he's, he's a fun guy. He's a mushroom. Uh, you know, he just brings some great insight into things. And I'm always happy to bring Tillich into the conversation because Tillich is a lot of fun. I want to remind people that the Queen Anne Baptist Church does meet at 1030 a.m. I'm sorry that Doug doesn't know when his own congregation meets. Uh, but I, you know, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I hope it makes you think about space, um, safety, and what it means to worship. If you want to send a comment or a question about this episode or any other episodes, you can send those to 12enough at gmail.com. That's all written out. 12 is written out. Uh, go to the show notes at 12enough.com where you can find the notes for this episode. You can also find the Kitchen Table Spirituality uh, podcast that I've been doing with Charlie Eastman. Yay, Charlie's back. Uh, that's been a weekly podcast we've been doing. It goes for about a half an hour. Um, a nice evening devotional you know, go listen to that. It's, it's a different style than what this, this show is. Uh, and you can also find the blog posts I do and those kinds of things. Uh, and as always, uh, go to Facebook, uh, like, like us, follow us on Facebook, and please uh, go to iTunes, like the show, rate the show, get five stars, six stars, seven stars, whatever you need to do is fine. Uh, put a comment about the show. That is huge. This is free. You don't have to pay for this. I mean, it costs you time, but it's time well spent. Uh, but uh, when you uh, write a comment or anything like that about the show, that really makes a huge difference. So take a second right now. Go right now. Just scroll down on your phone and, you know, type in something like, this podcast is great. I love it. You can use that if you want. If you use any Latin or Greek, I'll send you a t-shirt. Uh, but it has to be in the Greek. You can't use like English, anglicized versions of those words. And as always, thank you very much for listening. 12 and Up is a podcast about Christian faith and culture in the modern age. Your host, Jonathan Malone, is the pastor of the First Baptist Church of East Greenwich, Rhode Island. Doug Avalis Bernal is the executive minister of the Evergreen Association of American Baptist Churches, USA. The thoughts, ideas, opinions, and ruminations, moments of saying, yeah, I think so, or moments of saying, I don't think so, or quoting Tillich or anyone else, or Rauschenbusch, or any other person of that matter, they do not reflect their churches, their friends, their families, their denominations, the places where they live, the places they've been to, the places that they thought about going to, or anything else they may somewhat associate with them, brush up against the side of their back, or be found stuck to the bottom of their shoe. These are their own ideas. This is their podcast.